Good morning. Happy to be here with you guys today. Um, little confession. I, when I was first asked to preach, which was a month or two ago, I thought for sure I was going to be preaching on families as those were the things that um, Ruth and I have been going through, we've been learning about as we've become our own family unit of two now. Um, but there's been some challenges going on in my life and um, with my family back home. Ruth is starting to learn some of those things. And so I wanted to steer away from that and, and talk about something else that God has put on my heart um, through my reading and study. And so that brings us to 1 Timothy. Now, if you've looked at the header for um, this, this passage in particular, maybe some of our leaders or our teachers might be like, oh, what's he gonna, is he going to talk about me? I'm not saying that about anybody here, so I don't want to make anybody nervous. I simply want to challenge us as a church, as a congregation, um, both as members, but also as our leadership, to, to study this word diligently and, and hopefully that this word challenges us. So before anything, I want to give context behind um, this passage and this book. This is 1 Timothy, and it's considered one of the pastoral letters. So you have 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And typically, what I mean by the pastoral letters is, if Mitch was, when he was probably applying, he had to talk to the elders and the leadership, and he has to fit a lot of the qualifications found in these books. The same was true for me, and, and these are the books that you should really look to for what our leadership is supposed to be. Um, and then I'm under a little different thought, and you'll see that later, but I, I want to use it to challenge us all. And Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy is kind of this young guy at this point. He's uh, mid to early 20s. And so, you know, when I got here, I was 23. So you're thinking, you know, same age range, um, but, but Paul has a lot to say about Timothy, and he, and he cares a lot about Timothy. He almost sees him as his own son. And Timothy is, you know, he's, he's a young guy, and by the time you get to 2 Timothy, he's, you know, right before his 40s is the assumption. Um, but Paul is basically asserting Timothy and saying, this is a guy you can trust. This is a guy that you can listen to. I've worked with him, I've walked with him, and, and really, this is the person that is basically leading the church in Ephesus, as we see. So I'm going to break down each verse, um, as I typically do, and I just want you guys to follow along, and hopefully we can, I can challenge you through this. So again, starting in verse 3, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you, you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So Paul, Paul loves his relationship with Timothy. But he's saying, you know what, I need you to stay behind. In fact, this word charge, if you're reading the ESV, and in some other translations it might say command. Um, this is a more of a militaristic term. And basically what Paul is saying is this is a command or a charge coming from a king. Or, if, you know, you think about who Jesus is, the king of kings. This is what God has put on my heart. You need to stay behind in Ephesus. You need to remain there. Remain with those people and make sure that they are not teaching any different doctrine. And this is a tall charge for a young man. I mean, there's probably other people in the churches or church that he is interacting with. 
um, that are older than him. They might be experienced in the Jewish law. And Timothy is the one that is charged to, to hold them accountable, essentially. Now, one of my first points that I want you to come to with even the first two verses is that we have to be on guard at all times. And being on guard means being in this word. And, and we're going to see that as we dig into this. Um, but the first thought I want you to come away with is really that anyone can be a teacher. Now, I want to be careful how I say that because we know that if, you, if you're familiar with the word, not everybody should be a teacher. But you don't know who necessarily will or will not be a teacher because God's the one that essentially ordains that. Um, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, And it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for works of ministry and build up the body of Christ. So Timothy, this young man, he, he's basically charged to be the shepherd in, in Ephesus. And Paul, you can imagine, people are listening to Paul, because Paul was the guy that was out killing Christians, and then he became a Christian himself, and, and he's basically regarded as one of the greatest missionaries, and I'm sure, you know, people knew who Paul was at this time. But think about our own church. What do we expect from our teachers? What do we expect from the next generation of teachers, our youth, our, our, our future of our church? Not just our body, but, but going forward. Um, it, was, it was really moving to hear Pastor Phil's service and, and be a part of that. And one of the conversations that actually um, me, Gary, and Travis had, and we started to talk about, and I, and I said, I can't believe Phil was ever shy. You know, he's got this whole book of jokes, basically, in his mind, and he's, he's got to use them on people. He's got to talk to people. And then, you know, I'm hearing about Travis, and Travis used to be super shy. And then I'm thinking about myself, and I was like, yeah, I used to be in the same boat, like... Sometimes I still feel pretty timid and shy, but that doesn't stop the call on God that God has on our lives. Sometimes he wants to use those people. Sometimes he wants to use us in what appears as our weakness. So I don't want to get too hung up on the first verse, um, but verse 4 says, Nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God, that is by faith. So in my notes, I, I, I titled this The Consequences of False Doctrine. Now, doctrine, it, it's important to reference because some of you guys might not understand what even doctrine is. Um, doctrine is basically the core foundations of our faith. Um, so if you look at, there's plenty of other churches and there's good churches and bad churches and I'm not saying which one's which. But essentially what, what core doctrine would be is for us, do you believe that Jesus died on a cross, rose again, and he died for our sins? Those are core things. There's nothing added to that. It's by grace alone. Now, you know, where some things can get twisted is when you start adding things to that. Yeah, it was Jesus, but I also, you know, I need to pray to the apostles to kind of forgive my sins. Those, those types of things can start mixing into doctrine and become very dangerous. Um, and we also see this listed out later um, in Scripture. So, talking about devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies. When I was thinking about endless genealogies, I was like, you know, I, I don't think that's as much of a problem in Western culture. 
if you look around the world in different countries, they'll say, oh, you're the, you're the son of this person, so that means you know, you're blessed and you have this and that. We don't tend to focus on that too much. So I want to I wanna look at the myths a little bit more. And I will say with my generation specifically, um, we have a tendency to be prone to wander, and that's everybody. But what's very common right now in my generation is mysticism. Okay, they start basically pooling beliefs basically off their experiences or they start pulling different religions into what might be their faith. Um, I've had, I, had a, I have a friend in the area and I had a good conversation with him. We started talking about faith. And he knows I'm, I'm a youth director um, at a church. And, you know, he was showing me his cross tattoo. And he's like, you like that? You know, and he's saying, yeah, I, I kind of like Christianity, but then he's got you know, a, a big Buddha on his chest. And I'm like, all right, so we'll explain that one. And he's like, basically, I like to take all the good things from every, um, from every religion, and I have little experiences here and there, and I have stories to go with all my tattoos. And I'm like, oh, okay. But we have to be, we have to be careful not to start mixing in some of those things that the world has. We have to line everything up with Scripture. Um, I know for myself, you know, I see some people that are like, yeah, I'm, I'm thriving in my walk with Jesus. And then they're saying, today's going to be a good day. I got my horoscope and it's awesome. And I'm like, <sighs> I'm, I'm a little challenged there. Um, one other step that I want to take is a little bit further. And I, I want us to look at this from an objective view. Um, to go off myths, another uh, synonym could be something like conspiracy, okay? In our culture, it's very divided right now, and I think it would be a disservice for me not to talk about our culture and our world because we go out into the world. Now, if you look at it objectively, just from the outside, the danger becomes, you can look at both sides and say, if you're putting your faith on either side of any aisle, it becomes dangerous. And ultimately, I want us to look at the second half of the verse. It says, which promotes speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. We need to lead with the word of God. Christ is our savior. He's the most important thing in our life. He's the, he's the person that has changed our lives. He's the best thing that's happened to us. If we start adding other things to give us hope, people are going to you know, be a little skeptical sharing my story about when I, you know, talk about people that are like, yeah, I'm growing and thriving in my walk, but then they're also saying, you know, they're excited about their horoscope today. You know, I'm not saying that's the right response to have, but it is sometimes the natural response to be a little hesitant. So then we see what the goal is in verse 5. It says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So the goal is love. We know that. Jesus commanded it. He said, love God, love others. Everything that you do, every lens that you look at, you should start with the word of God. And this is, this is specifically written to people about false teachers. We have to be aware of them. Are we constantly evaluating our teachers, our leadership, and the people around us? Because I, I think that this is a challenge for us all. I think this is something that we should all be challenged to push people a little bit deeper, to push people a little bit harder in their understanding of 
who God is and what the scriptures are saying. It says, so the charge is love that issues from a pure heart. So for our leaders, for our teachers, again, we are prone to wander. That is something that can happen. We have to make sure and evaluate ourselves to make sure that is, is this the pure intention of our heart? Let me tell you, when you are focused on the gospel of Christ, nothing else matters. That needs to be your focus. That needs to be your charge. And so, are you sharing that you care about this person? You want them to walk faithfully with Christ and nothing else matters. That is the pureness that should come from your heart and a good conscience. Sometimes we start to doubt the things that we're doing and sometimes there's secondary intentions. Don't let there be any secondary intentions because if Jesus is the best thing that's happened to you, if he's the best thing in your life, and you know what it means for your eternity or someone else's, that should be your focus. That should be your concern. And then it says a sincere faith. We are still people of faith. You guys have heard me talk, and I love apologetics. I love knowing the why and the how and where science and real life meet with God's word. But there's still a level of faith that we have to take. There's still a level of faith that, that we all have to do, and that should be the thing that we live by. When people look at Christians, they should see, well, one, people that are showing genuine love, they care, but we're still people of faith at the end of the day. But don't be faith that is foolish. And I think that can be the danger at different times, especially in our culture. So verse 6 says, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussions. Isn't this one of the dangers that we have? We start talking or debating about things that don't necessarily matter. I mean, I'll give you a good example of what happens with youth ministry. Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? It's a fun question. There's nothing wrong with it. But don't camp on it. Don't build your, your image of who God is based on these silly questions. One thing that might happen in um, church as you get older is predestination versus free will. These are good things to talk about, th good things to debate about, but don't camp on those things. Because at the end of the day, are they, do they have any point or are they just in vain? Now, there's plenty of good things that happen in church that can become bad things that can become distractions. Now, I'm going to make you guys a little hungry. Um, so, if you think about your food, right? You, you have a meal, and I don't know, Michelle, are, Michelle, are you keeping up with us? <laughs> um, so, there we go. Think about a nice, juicy steak. I hope all of you guys like steak, because steak is, I had some steak in Tennessee, and it was great. Um, but if you think about a meal, when you go to a restaurant, you're not going to say, oh, I'm, you know, I want the mashed potatoes with the side of steak. No, the steak is your main course. And so in church, we have the tendency, right? We get involved in small groups. We get involved in a book study. And these things are good things, right? So if you think about a small group or a discipleship or a mentor, um, those are your vegetables. Those are a healthy thing to do. But I don't know if we have any vegetarians here, but you still need a well-balanced meal. Um, 
You need your carbs, which maybe your carbs are your book study, your spiritual book. You have, you know, good verses of scripture in there, and it's challenging you in different ways. But the danger is, if you're not having your steak, your meat, which is the word of God, those other things become the place of the word of God. And the other danger that we have to see is if everybody's doing that and no one's in the word of God, well then essentially we're just the blind leading the blind. We're just taking the next new hot preacher that we like to hear and we're building our, our theology on who God is based on this book that we're reading or based on what my mentor has shared with me or my small group leader. The main course is still the word of God. How do we hold our leaders accountable? How do we hold those above us? How do we make sure that the books are correct doctrine if we're not in this word, chewing on the meat, the word of God? We have to be careful not to become the blind leading the blind. So verse 7 says, Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So again, our first priority is the word of God. And there's going to be people that, that want to be teachers. And this is an interesting thing that I think I've seen in church, and not just here in general, but in church as a whole. There are people that want to be teachers, and they desire to be teachers, but sometimes the call to be a teacher is a spiritual one. Going back to that passage in Ephesians, it's God who ordains people to be teachers in church. Now, there are great teachers out there that teach in our schools, and there's people that are teachers in schools, and they can be teachers at church, and they're great spiritual teachers also. But sometimes there's people that would not be great teachers, but they'd be great spiritual teachers, or vice versa. There's people that are great teachers, but they're not great spiritual teachers. So us as a church, us as a body, we have to constantly be evaluating and making sure that they are lining up with Scripture. Because there are people that want to be teachers of the law or teachers of God's Word, but they don't necessarily understand what they're saying. They don't understand what they're teaching or they're just regurgitating basically what they've read in their spiritual books. We have to, as, as a congregation, this is, again, this is a challenge for everyone because Who's the people that, that choose the leadership of any church? It's the members. We all choose who we feel that is the best spiritual leader, but ultimately we have to line it up with God's word, just like you should with anyone. I hope you guys, you know, check me all the time for, for my accuracy in scripture. Um, and so I wanted to use Mitch's illustration a little bit. And he, if you were here a couple weeks ago, um, he talked about the elephant. And if you had a bunch of blind people and they... They all have different perspectives. An elephant is very big, and if your elephant is God, you have one person feeling a toss, and you have another person feeling the leg, and they're two different perspectives on who God is or who that elephant is. The important part is starting here. You're always going to learn more about who God is by being in this word, and there's going to be things that stick out to you that didn't stick out before. Spiritual books, spiritual mentorship all important in that walk. But sometimes our own experiences might not necessarily be who God is. We have to line it up and make sure that it is scripturally accurate. Verse 8, now we know that the law is good if anyone uses it lawfully. 
So the law is talking about the first five books of, of Scripture. You know, you have your rules, and, and, your, and people tend to look at that negatively. But we have to remember, and if you remember back to last Advent season when I preached on John 1. John 1 talks about the Word becoming flesh. It's, that's Jesus coming in flesh and dwelling among us. If you want to know who Jesus is, you have to know this Word. Because the Word became flesh. You can, you can say you believe in Jesus, but you have to be challenged by his word because this is who he is. To know God's character, to know what true doctrine is, is to know this word. And so, again, the law is good. God created the law for our protection. There's nothing wrong necessarily with the, the law, even though we have freedom from it in Christ. So we know that we have freedom in the law and in verse 9, it says, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for, un, for the ungodly and sinners. I want to stop right there. We fit under these categories that are listed. We all fit under the ungodly. We all fit under the disobedient. I mean, I can go down the list and, and I'm like, yeah, I, feel, I fit that one. And, you know, I might not fit all of them, but if you've broken one, you've broken them all. So we can look at the list, and, and, and I'll be transparent here. It's like, you know, we're all sinners. We're all unholy. At times, even if you don't say anything profane, sometimes it's in your heart, right? If you were at um, Pastor Phil's memorial service, one of the gentlemen came up and shared a story about when Pastor Phil came off, cut him off, and he was, you know, getting ready to be a little profane. He's like, oh, hey, Pastor Phil. Sometimes that's our natural tendency. But Jesus still died for us in that. We are not called to live in this. We have to preach against it. We have to repent. But we can't actively and basically take a black sharpie and say, yeah, I don't, I don't really want that one. It says, so for, 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 uh, and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers. You might say, I, I haven't done that, but you know, if you've heard my testimony, like, I physically fought with my mom as a young kid. I, I fit under that. It says for murderers, Jesus said, you know, if you've, if you've hated someone, you've already murdered them in their heart. We're probably all murderers thinking about that one person that maybe you still have hate for. Um, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality. And again, I'm going to be a little more transparent here and just give you a view into what my generation is, is doing right now. So my generation loves to twist scripture and they might not have any idea about what they're saying, but they, they constantly say the same things, and they say, well, you know, the Greek never actually talks about homosexuality. And the truth of the matter is, the Bible does speak on these things. However, it's important for us as people to not sit there and say, well, this person's homosexual. But meanwhile, that same person is sleeping with their girlfriend or boyfriend. Like, there's a, there's a transparency that we need to have as a church to say, Jesus still loves you the way you are, but we have to teach that, that God, this is God's character. He does not, he cannot be in the presence of sin. If you want to have a relationship, a right standing with God, you have to walk in faith and say, you know, I want to be more like you. Enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is, is contrary to sound doctrine. So again, we hold our leadership, we hold our people as a church accountable. 
we hold ourselves to the sound doctrine that is the word of God. In order to know what sound doctrine is, you have to know what the word of God says. Some people might not know what they're doing isn't, is, is wrong because they don't know this word or because the book that they read doesn't say anything about it. It's important to talk about these things. It's important to preach about these things. But again, to do it in love and grace. Now, if you think about our leadership and our church, you know, sometimes we tend to look at church as more of the way we look at our country, a democratic republic. And we sit there and we say, you know, like, I want this thing in church and I want this thing in church, so therefore I'm going to vote this way and that way. But the reality is the church isn't called to be a democracy. It's not called to be a republic. It's called to be a theocracy. It's, it's a body of people that is being led by God. And how, do we, how are we led by God? We lead by this word with our teachers, with our preaching, but also as a congregation. Like I said, I'm under a little different thought and influence, and I, and I think that even though if we look at these pastoral books, there's nothing here that says that it's just for pastors. I think we should hold that to our members. That should be the standard for our members because if, if we were to hold that standard for us all, I believe we'll see God work. God will work abundantly for those that are faithfully following him, but we can't you know, shy away from it and pretend that these sins aren't real and these things, because those sins have consequences in our lives. They cause heartbreak. They cause division. Those are not the things that people looking from the outside in want to see from the people of God. So we constantly have to be challenging ourselves. And again, looking over the, essentially this list of sins. These things that are contrary to who God is. We as a church have to be careful because our flesh, which is our old nature, our flesh loves legalism. We love to say, look at this list of laws and look, I'm not doing anything or at least I don't appear to be doing anything. We love to appear righteous. Remember, it is by the grace of God that any of us are saved. It is by the grace of God that any of us can have a right standing or a relationship with God. So don't get caught in that trap of legalism. The final verse, it says, in accordance with the gospel of glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Now this is Paul speaking, but I think this is something that we can all see for ourselves. We have all been entrusted. If you have accepted Christ, you have been entrusted with this gospel of glory. Do you take that and live that out? Do people see that in your actions when you go to work, when you go to school, or whatever avenue of life that you're involved in? Do we challenge that for our church? We have, we, you know, we have been entrusted as a church to lead with this word, this word that is the word of God. I have, I have one more story, and I haven't seen him yet, um, but I'm actually going to share about Jason, and this has to do with Joe, too. Um, so Jason and Joe are two of my leaders, and we just had a leadership meeting. And Jason said something that I really loved what he said. Um, so essentially Joe came in and he was a little nervous because he felt unprepared. He felt like, um, you know, he, he almost he wasn't qualified or he, he hadn't done the things that he was supposed to do. Even though he's trying to prepare and he's trying to be ready, but he, he didn't necessarily have the answer. 
And, you know, this is talking about our youth ministry, and he's been a great help. They've all been um, great, and I'm, I love having you guys. And Jason just goes, can I tell you a secret? Nick's not a professional either. <laughs> and that, you know, that's, that's really the attitude that we should have. If we go back to that passage in Ephesians, you know, some people are called to be teachers. Some people are called to be evangelists. God might have called me to stand up here on this podium, but I'm right down there with you. There's nothing more holy about me being up here. This is just the role that God has called me to. So in light of that, how do we challenge all each other? You guys need to challenge me as much as I need to challenge you guys. I need you guys just as much as you need me. We all have something to gain from each other. There is no professional. The only professional walked about 2,000 years ago. So can I challenge us all to be in this word, to hold each other to the standard that is God's word, and, and really push us to the next step in our walks as a church? Because there's a lot in this word that we can learn from, but there's also a lot that we can learn from each other. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this completed word of scripture. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for the examples that we see in scripture through Paul, Timothy. But I thank you that those aren't the only examples to live by. I thank you that we have um, examples in this church, leaders that are faithful to you, and I just pray that we continue to be faithful, that we continue to grow closer to you in our walks, and we, we are challenging each other and putting ourselves right before your word, scripture, your God-breathed word, and challenging each other daily to look more like you so that we can see not only the impact that you have on our lives as individuals, but the, the impact that you can have to the people around us in our community, in our congregation, and even those that, that go before us. I thank you for this time. I just pray that um, you, you hit our hearts with your word more than anything else. 